0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show, we talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart.
1: Hey, get your popcorn ready.
0: NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello
2: and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to break down the conference championship games and take you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, and Eric Adelson from Yahoo Sports.
1: And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former NFL quarterback and analyst Sean Salisbury.
2: Sean, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Let's start in Philadelphia. How surprised were you by how well Nick Foles played yesterday against the best defense in football with the Vikings?
3: Well, I didn't think he'd play that way, but I, I on my show this week, on our television show, I had said that if he goes 23 to 30 again like he did last week, even without throwing a touchdown, they're going to win. And he did... <laughs> He played far better than Matt. He looked like a guy who's been a starter for his entire career. I I had picked Philadelphia to win the game last week against Atlanta this week, but I thought it'd be one of those buzzer-beater field goals. Um, I'll tell you what, and Cordell knows this as well, The there's a comfort level with this guy on this RPO action. He loves it because it takes a lot of the full-field read away from him. It's RPO throw the slant, RPO throw to curl, RPO throw a hitch. He's very... When the ball's coming out quickly, when he's not overthinking, he's on fire. And then they started, then he made some great throws. He was patient in the pocket. He made some great throws on straight drop back five and a hitch and and get the ball out. He looked so comfortable. It was as if this this was not new to him now. Can he continue with a third time? We're about to find out in two weeks. But he did not only what a backup's supposed to do, but he did what a starter's supposed to do. He didn't worry about... Uh, Carson Wentz. He wasn't trying to prove to the world that he belongs as a star. He did what he was supposed to do. They put him in an unbelievable position and he did not hesitate yesterday. There was no, you know, he didn't watch the pass rush. I mean, it looked like a guy in control and I, from from Filippo to Frank Reich to Doug Peterson, the quarterback coach, coordinator and head coach, put him in an incredible position and the believability to allow him to cut it loose and throw that many times I loved it. And then they dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, they gave him time to throw. It was domination all the way around, but I was so impressed with his poise that he gets the last two weeks when they run that run RPO where he gets to read and get it out and he doesn't take a lot of time and he's making quick decisions. Nick Foles is is playing about as good as you can play at that position considering the fact that he's, what, now got five starts under his belt this year.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's, I think, why he's... You know, while looking at him at the end of part of this season, you automatically assume everything was getting ready to fall apart. But going back to what he did, and I think it was 13, 2013, where he was like 27-2 and two touchdowns and interceptions yep. with Philly, uh, you, we getting a chance to see it again with him now. But some people in in, 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 in some cases have a tendency to want to blame it on a systems, per se. But the player still has to ex- execute. I think yep. this is probably the best execution that we've seen, Let's just say overall throughout an entire game for a quarterback, not where you do it just for the first half and you fall off in the second or vice versa, but Nick Foles actually played some of the most sound football of any quarterback in the playoffs. What does this do for his future as a quarterback?
3: Oh, my God. Well, I think what it does, and you know this, Cordell, when you play games like that, especially game three in the regular season, people say, okay, well, it's regular season. When the temperature of the game goes up, how's a guy who's supposed to be a backup, how's he perform, let alone a starter? And he has played out of his mind the last two weeks in, in particular. And I couldn't agree with you more. I, I get so tired of people blaming their, or, you know, or putting all the, uh, should I say, the, all the, the, the credentials and all the love on, oh, it's a system. No, the guy's got the ball in his hand. He's got to make good, quick, accurate delivery with the football. I think it's incumbent upon a coaching staff, and they did this, and the, where they deserve credit, is put him in his comfort zone and allowed him to get confidence by early throws and getting him rolling. And I think that's part of what a good coach does for any quarterback. But I would agree with you. I, I, there, there, there can't have been a better performance from opening snap to end a game since in the playoffs this, this year. Now, Ben put on a good show uh, last week, but still, the consistency, the accuracy, the placement of the football, the change of the launch point, the short, intermediate, and long passes, his decision – on a couple times to to sit in the pocket and not be forced out to where the one he hung in there and hung in there and hung in there and climbed a little bit and hit the, the, the deep ball down the field for the touchdown um, to a wide-open receiver on a broken coverage. He just – I thought he did everything well. And as far as what it's doing for him, if you're a franchise, first of all, if you're Philadelphia, you're saying, damn, we're coming off an injury to our quarterback. We don't want to let the guy get away. We felt like we upgraded, meaning if you're Philadelphia – Nick Foles for Chase Daniel, because Chase wouldn't have done what he did yesterday. He got a big, strong body who can throw it. Everybody thought the limitations on his physical skills running the football would limit them. I can tell you this, Carson Carson Lynch did not play a better game the entire year as, as a possible MVP than Nick Foles did yesterday. Now, Lynch is your future. I love him. What this does is it heightens people's awareness to either get you paid bigger as a backup or allow people to say, would you take another chance on him as a starter for instance, in the right system if you were to run that. And it just heightens it. All it does is it extends an opportunity for people to rejudge him in the right way. And if he extends this through the Super Bowl, now we're looking at a whole new offseason can of worms. But I couldn't have been more proud of a guy who was, you know, people had set him up for failure after the Oakland game and the the, uh, Dallas game. But he's responded with unbelievable pressure in the postseason and handled it so well.
2: Chatting with our pal, Sean Salisbury, check out the highly informative Sean Salisbury show weekdays, SB Nation radio TV simulcast on BN sports. I want to leverage one of the words you threw out there upgrade and shift over to Jacksonville. In fairness, Blake Bortles played well yesterday, but Sean, considering how transcendent this Jacksonville defense is, do you think it would be wise for the team to explore other options, maybe target a trade with the Chiefs to pick up Alex Smith or go after a free agent to upgrade the play at the quarterback position next year?
3: I would. I I try not to let a motion of, oh, you know, the loss wasn't just on Bortles. The loss got on the fact that they started to play, you know, when they throw three times on first down in the second half. They came out aggressive. They had the, the Patriots on their heels, and then they did what a lot of teams do, try to shorten the game and get out of it before Brady touches the ball. And in the process, you end up giving him the ball more. So they backed off his aggressiveness. But, you know, against, against Pittsburgh, when you guys, if we look deep into it, he made about four throws in the third and fourth quarter. The, the, the fullback iso throw down the middle for the touchdown, the deep one to Cole. He did not have a good game for the first three quarters. He just kind of managed it and was around 50%. But when he's aggressive and they're throwing it, he seems to be a little bit more confident. And then I, I'm not putting a loss just on him yesterday. Hell, when Tom Brady's got the ball, the defense could not get off the field in the you know the last quarter, and those things happen. And you're playing against the, the best player we've ever had at the position. So that being said, I don't think I, I don't think that mechanically, there's something missing from Blake Bortles' makeup. There just is in his DNA. Some got it, some don't. He he's not. He's, Blake Bortles has never won in a Super Bowl. He'll never play on a better defense than he's playing on right now. He just—he's not the guy you could turn the ball over to and say, "Go win me a game." He's the type of guy that if you're Doug Marone and and Nathaniel Hackett and Tom Coffey, you say, "Let's get through this." Let's not forget now. And this is no disrespect on the guy. I respect anybody who goes through that and plays that position. He's better at it than I was. But mechanically, he's not overly sound, and you can't you you can't trust him most of the time under duress. And if you if you watch them and you're Looking at the future of your franchise, you say, What are we missing? You're missing a guy that can now if Alex Smith or Deshaun Watson or somebody or Kirk Cousins is the quarterback, they're better. That's the way you gotta look at is Blake Bortles give us the best chance to get to the next level. Now you also gotta look at the options. If I can get Alex Smith, is Alex Smith better than Bortles? Yes. He's more accurate. Now, does that mean you're gonna win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith? Well that's been proven so far, not yet. But to me, Blake Bortles is a guy that no matter where he goes, he can get you to a certain level. He's an 8-8, 9-7 quarterback. That If that defense was average, they could very simply have won the division this year. And if Watson and Andrew Luck are healthy, and if Marcus Mariota takes a step back of the way the progress we saw two years ago, not this year, but two years ago, they could end up finishing in third place. They could be the worst offense in the division because of the quarterback. So, for me, decent player. Not $20 million, $19 million worth. He, there, there's a ceiling on his game. Yes, if you want to win a championship, he, he, he's not the game, regardless of how he played a couple times. and I mean, You've got to look at the whole body of work. From the time he started in the league to now, you're not playing in February with Blake Bortles as your quarterback. You're just not.
1: With the game being the way it is now, Sean, uh, how often do you really go to the blueprint of what you think a real quarterback is? Because, For case, this is just for this case. Let's look at Mitchell Trubisky. 13 games. He comes in as a second pick overall. He goes to Chicago. Look at Carson Wentz. FCS school coming from North Dakota State. No one believed that he could actually come in. Jared Goff. I mean, he comes out of a system where they never got in the huddle. Everything was from the center. He got everything from the sideline last year with Jeff Fisher. He looked like he didn't belong in the National Football League. Sean McVay comes in, make the kid look like a hero. Do you think Tom Coughlin, with a Blake Bortles in that conversation, this is his first year of having an opportunity to be successful. Do you think that they, from a price standpoint as well, do you think they can continue to build around him to allow this, 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 this life of, of understanding how to win to be something that could become contagious because of some the things that we know that Tom Coughlin can do, as opposed to saying, let's bring in the Alex Smith. We've seen what Alex Smith can do. Or let's bring in the Eli Manning. Just hypothetical conversation. right Bring him right. in. And, and you know what? Because of their body of work, they've done better, but yet they still end up in the same exact place, just the AFC Championship game. Yeah.
3: Here's the question with that, quote I'm I'm getting to the point where... You know, and and you've seen it. You've been with good coaches and good teachers, and so have I. We've been with some that maybe not as good. Coaching matters, and anybody that doesn't see that hasn't watched Jared Goff and Carson Wentz's improvement, and then mm-hmm. and, and, and and watched what Keith Case Keenum and Nick Foles and Jared Goff have done out of that horrendous St. Louis Rams Jeff Fisher's offense. And I love Fish, but the offense the, the the teaching and coaching at that offense was horrible. And so it does matter. So, and then you look at Deshaun Watson came from that offense, boom, gets proper coaching, comes in. There's that it factor, and it's overused. Right. But I don't know. You know what? I don't know if Alex Smith, if he went to the Patriots and Tom Brady retired, if they'd win a Super Bowl. There are certain guys that, and and I guess what's your level? I mean, what do we want? If you want Andy Dalton, you're going to say just get to the playoffs and we'll be good enough? Okay, cool. Or do you want a guy who? When I look at Blake Bortles, I see a guy who's physically gifted. His mechanics, the the way he drops the ball and wind up, got a little bit better this year than it did last year. But I don't. Then I I look at guys and say, it doesn't really matter. Quarterbacks, I don't care if he's if he's if he's a 25 touchdown guy, Drew Brees. They're going to win. They they find ways to win, and they find ways to make everybody around them better. My question for this: Jared Goff, will he make players? He made great quantum leagues? Can Tom Coughlin do that with Bortles? I'm not sure. Tom Coughlin believes he can. Remember, in, in the third week of the season, they tried, I mean, the third preseason, they tried to bench Blake Bortles. Right. They tried to with, with Chad Henning. So, do we, I mean, could Tom Coughlin have an effect and build around him? But what else are they going to build around him? they got a, full, a full-grown man at running back. Now, maybe Bortles' confidence grew in the postseason. You say, let's play this option out. Let's give him one more year at it and see if he grows with Fournette. We get all our young receivers healthy. We've got a Super Bowl-caliber defense and see where he goes from there but to me with my naked eye and watching every throw he's made cuz on every we watch every single game in our studio with nine monitors every single week watch every throw he's made and the makeup of him tells me that I don't that I don't think he's a february player now that being said can it happen sure i never say always or never because that that, that gets you in trouble in life and in sports but when i look around do i think his may i don't think he has the same makeup mentally and emotionally that Carson Wentz has he just Carson he just split
1: against wanted... He just played against Tom Brady. That's all. I mean, that's a, and that's, that's another. <laughs> I mean, in, in all another, fairness, in all fairness, he really everybody. did play against him. Yeah, I mean, he beat that's everybody, the, right? Just think about going back to two thousand and three. He's beaten what? Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, uh, Peyton Manning. I mean, we could go on and on. Joe the Flacco. The question is,
3: when, when? the question is, when Brady's out of the league, can he beat Garoppolo? Can he beat Ben Roethlisberger? Right. Yeah. Can he beat those guys with Blake? Hey. I, I gain a lot of respect for the one thing I know about Blake Bortles is he's mentally tough because he's been kicked in the teeth as much as any quarterback not named Brock Osweiler in the league the last couple of
1: years. And we know but about that, don't we, Sean? Thing,
3: that's exactly right. But I can tell you this, and this is what they have to ask themselves. I don't get – hey, I'm just a guy with an opinion who watched him and entered, who thinks he knows something about the position, but they have to decide, does Blake Bortles make players around him better? Will he take a six-wide receiver and make him an eight? Will Leonard Fournette reach his fullest potential with Blake Bortles under center in the gun next to him? That's what you've got to ask yourself. I personally, now you put Deshaun Watson on Jacksonville's team with his it factor, the, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat, they beat New England yesterday because he'll just make more plays. So is it, do, do I think that Blake Bortles' career is over? Absolutely not. But if you're telling me right now, I'm going to be playing, if, let's remove Brady from the equation. Do the Jacksonville Jaguars make it to the Super Bowl next year with Blake Bortles as their quarterback? They're not winning the division with Blake Bortles as their quarterback if everybody in that division is healthy, even with that defense. In my opinion, he's not taken to the Super Bowl. They're going to have to decide when, if not in the next six months or three months, then in the next year. But I'm willing to. If Tom Coughlin sees something that we don't, he's around him every day, he says, let's give this guy one more go at it. But I think the body of work tells us there's a limit on where Blake Bortles emotionally and physically can take us. He's got he looks great in the uniform, big strong guy. But you know this, Cordell, I've seen a lot of those guys the six, five stiffs that can't play, and I've seen five nine and a half guys that can go win Super Bowl. So to me, I don't care what system you come from now, what school you come from, you better be taught well and you better have some you better have balls of steel and you better be able to make plays under duress. If you've got that and you're well coached, you got a chance to win. And do you make players better? I'm not sure Blake Bortles makes his receivers better. I know some guys that do. And number 12 in New England always has.
2: And that's why he's the greatest of all time. Sean, as always, we appreciate the strong opinions. Keep it going on your radio show. It's a terrific listen, and we hope to say hello in person when we get to Radio Row in Minnesota.
0: Can't wait. Appreciate it. Cordell, love you, brother. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this.
2: Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 Wireless Headphones 2, you just flip the switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35 Wireless Headphones 2, uh, engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com com/no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones 2 today. Bose, official sound of Super Bowl 52.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's continue with our analysis of Sunday's conference championship games. It is a rematch of Super Bowl 39 coming up in Minnesota, Philadelphia, taking on New England.
1: Yeah, this will be a... Uh... This will be a rematch from then. Uh, down in Jacksonville, actually, is where that game was played. And uh, I think this is going to be a rematch, an opportunity to see two teams come together to try to do one thing and win a championship. One has, I guess, rematch implications. Of course, no T.O. involved in that. Uh, but you also have um, a team in New England who's trying to do something that's pretty remarkable. Gone to eight, have a chance to win six. Uh, one coach having a chance to do more one coach and a player have a chance to do more than a lot of quarterbacks have been able to do, let alone the organization have been able to do combined. Um, the closest thing probably to that uh, we could say is a Ben Roethlisberger who's gone to three and won two. We can say even um, an Eli Manning or even going back to a Peyton Manning. I mean, this is, this is beyond words of understanding of what can be achieved with, the, with this New England Patriots football team, but I gotta be honest with you, man. Nick Foles, you know, everybody's just automatically assuming that this team in Philadelphia won't be able to handle it. And, you know, and I know the, the, the body of work and what this team has done uh, in the New England Patriots is out. It's not over until it's completely over. But I think leading up to this football game, I think this is the type of moxie I think uh, it, it should be able to get because you have both number one seeds actually playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, I called the Philadelphia Eagles somewhat of front runners for the most part because that's where they were all year long. And then they lose their quarterback in Carson Wentz. And we saw how Nick Foles finished the season off, but yet he ended up turning it on, uh, being able to go 23 of 30. Uh, completing 76% of those passes, then all of a sudden going 26-33, completing 78% of those passes in the NFC Championship game on the biggest stage uh, so far in his career as a starting quarterback. So pinpointing every single pass and putting up three t- three touchdowns, pretty remarkable. So I think the buildup to this football game is going to be it's about as big as I think we all may uh, anticipate it to watch. And even though it's not Carson Wentz, what we've seen in being prisoner of the moment – of Nick Foles over the last couple of weeks, I think warrants an opportunity to be praised or most importantly, put in a conversation of a potential chance to maybe be in the underdogs again, seeing those masks and this team just come on and play some great football, but it is the New England Patriots. So we have to wait and see because it's going to be pretty exciting.
2: I'll throw it out to the audience. And I want to pose this question to you. We're going to take our analysis in order, start with the early game in New England, then we'll move on to what happened in Philadelphia. But If you're listening from anywhere across the world and want to chime in at 832-688-6346, what was the bigger surprise, Cordell? The Philadelphia pounded Minnesota or Jacksonville gave New England all they could handle?
1: I think it was Philadelphia pounding Minnesota. Um, Jacksonville, you know, more times than not, the team that had the number one overall defense was the one that would have trumped the number one offense. It's been done... Uh, many times before, uh, but I think Tom Brady defied that out, and, and this is not a shock with what he did. I mean, look what he did to the Atlanta Falcons last year being down 28-3, to so it doesn't shock me at all. But I think what we saw, what Philadelphia did, you know, leading into this, coming into this football game, unsure of what Nick Foles was going to show up, unsure of which team was going to show up, knowing how difficult it's been for this team in the NFC Championship games to get over the hump to get to a championship and look what Doug Peterson has done uh, in his first and second run with this team in the the Philadelphia Eagles. I guess there's no more undermining from Coach Schwartz, allegedly coming from out of Philadelphia. Things being said as if Doug Peterson was in over his head. I think that conversation will be will end as of right now probably last for another three to five years to be honest with you because that that fan base was pretty darn excited but to see what this team was able to do uh, to this offense. I mean applying pressure on, on 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 Case Keenum to to put him in those unorthodox positions to have to throw football in areas that you wish he wouldn't have thrown it uh, to being able to to take this 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 defense that was supposed to be pretty good and just get annihilated um, I mean worse than we've ever seen happen to this Minnesota Vikings defense throughout the entire season I mean they've had an opportunity to be in a lot of games but come on man. Uh, to see all these passes being thrown to these runs being made. I mean, think of the players on this football team in Philadelphia that came from somewhere else last year and have a chance to now all of a sudden go to a championship. How about Jay Ajayi? Midway through this season, towards the end, he gets run off by by the Miami Dolphins with conversation coming from Adam Gaze to where talks about the team saying he don't know what to do with the football team. And what does he do? He goes to Philadelphia and and does extremely well. LeGarrette Blunt. He doesn't go back to New England. He ends up going out there to the Philadelphia Eagles. Alshon Jeffries, a guy who had a, a tremendous amount of conversation about him and his dedication and, and whatever else he had going on as far as injuries were concerned. He was a big part of success of this football team. Chris Long, he's another player uh, that came from somewhere else and had a chance to do something extremely well. Came so, from
2: New England. He has a chance to yeah. burn his old team.
1: Yep, so when you really start putting things in perspective with – what I think far as the excitement is when it comes to this football team and, and what they actually bring to the table, as um, far as just the energy, there's a lot of guys in, in, in prime position, starters, just, just just to say the least, that are willing, I mean, really trying to make a mark of this opportunity. Seeing Jay Ajayi on the ground crying, I mean, his eyes out. I mean, for on the ground for at least three to five minutes, like in disbelief. I mean, just imagine being that player. Look at Nick Foles. He's looking at the confetti come out of the sky. You only could dream that type of stuff, man. You know, Um, sometimes you have a chance to be a part of it and you you never get a chance to do it again. Like going back to 1995, I remember seeing it happening in Pittsburgh. And I mean, it it was so long ago, you almost forgot some of the stuff. But here it is. He starts in Philly. He leaves, goes to Kansas City, comes back to Philly. And look where he is now. Going the to the Super Carson Bowl. Lince.
2: And he pondered retirement when he was playing for Jeff Fisher in St. Louis. Sports, it is the Ultimate Reality TV. 832-688-6346. That's the overview. We'll talk about the Eagles and Vikings in detail in 20 minutes, coming up at 445 Eastern Time. The latest on all the coaching moves, the Cardinals have a new head coach, Steve Wilkes, leaving Carolina as their defensive coordinator. Now the head coach in Arizona. Let's start with the Patriots. Make it 10 trips to the Super Bowl now. Number eight for Brady and Belichick. And they won the game because Tom Brady raised his intensity second half. You know about the thumb injury. He didn't have Rob Gronkowski after he was concussed for the play after halftime. So no Gronk at all in quarters number three and number four. And I'm going to crush the Jaguar play calling momentarily in my mind. And I'm just a loud guy. Cordell actually played the game on this show, but they got way too conservative. Still, credit goes to Belichick and Brady. What's
4: more, here's the head coach of the Patriots. But we'd expect it to be. Come down to the last possession, come down to the final play, player two, whatever it is. I um, so we saw last weekend in, in a lot of playoff games. We've seen it, We've been in plenty of those before. So you get two good teams and it comes down to a handful of plays.
2: And amongst those handful of plays, many occurred in critical situations. Here's more from Belichick.
4: Uh, made more plays than the played better defensively, played well in the kicking game, played well offensively when we needed to. I think that's really the mark of this team and these players is uh, when we needed to. Most that's that's when we played our best, and uh, fortunately we were able to do that today.
2: Now let's hear from the greatest quarterback of all time. It's Tom Brady.
4: It's just been an unbelievable run, and I think everyone should be really proud of what we accomplished. is is a different team than last year's team, and you know it didn't look good at two and two, and you know you just keep showing up to work every day. And we sit in these chairs, and Coach Belichick gets up here, and he demands a lot out of us, and he tries to get the most out of us every day. And it's not always great, you know. Sometimes it's pretty average, and then. You know, you're just trying to get better and better, and get to the point where you can make, you know, the fourth quarter of a game, and you know, try to play well enough to get yourself into the next one. So,
2: as for Jacksonville, a reminder: they had a 20 to 10 lead in the fourth quarter. Post game, Doug Marone using a colorful analogy.
1: Outside of God forbid, someone passing away that you feel you know close to. I mean, this is, this is what this is probably as close to pain that you'll have. You know, this is the pain that you you deal with when you when you lose football games.
2: Well, the good news is nobody passed away. Here's more from Marone.
1: There's a lot of pain. You know, you just hurt inside. Um, I'm hurting, the coaches are hurting, the players obviously are hurting. I'm sure our fans are hurting. You know, but a lot of guys on this team have gutted it out all year, they gutted it out today. It's great quality. Guys are playing, you know, banged up and playing you know, extremely hard and the reason why they're doing it is playing for each other. And I think that's why early in the year I said I thought this team could be special. You know, we, we fell short, but hopefully we'll start again and build on that characteristic of playing for each other.
2: Now let's hear from his quarterback, Blake Bortles. If you're just going by the numbers, played fairly well, 23-36, 293 yards. Here he is after the loss.
4: Hey, guys are upset. You know, it's not what anybody expected, you know, outside of contrary to popular belief, um, you know, that, that, that room fully expected to win this game. Um, and, you know, I think everybody's shocked, disappointed, upset, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, that we didn't.
2: Cordell, as we think about the overview, of course, Tom Brady deserves – monumental credit. He was spectacular with the game on the line once more. But we've seen that repeatedly, so nothing about Brady's heroics surprises me now at this stage of his career. I think the Jaguars lost this game as much as the Patriots won it, because just watching as an amateur offensive coordinator, I thought the play calling was ludicrous second half. They got way too conservative.
1: They did. They did. And if you go back to how teams play against, play against New England, what do they do? Majority of the time, they get a jump start. And what do they do at halftime New England? They make the adjustments, and they come out and they play accordingly. Here was a football team that I really thought had the recipe. And no, I didn't think they did have the recipe. But one thing that I think this football team did in New England, they started playing keep away but they had the up-tempo offense uh, that put them in position to call plays at the line of scrimmage, walk around, not allow this defense in in, in, in Jacksonville to have a little rhythm and and be able to dial up plays by huddling up, uh, but most importantly, force them to have to run. How many times we saw Calais Campbell come out of the game? He wasn't in the game the entire game like we see him in the majority of the time, whether it's because of a tweak of an injury to fatigue, and that forced to be reckoned wasn't wasn't all systems go early on because they were forced to play catch up, even though they were ahead. They were playing as if they were the team that was behind, and they it became they became passive on defense. You know the once aggressive defense in the first half end up going into the cover two coverage, and before you know it, you end up seeing um, a lot of plays being cre- uh, passed and being made on someone like a AJ. How you pronounce it, Bouye. Yep. That's how you pronounce it. Um, and so I think the defensive back number 21 uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, when you have that, um, you end up putting yourself in position to have long down in distances being converted. Think of it. third and 18 Edelman 21 yard game first down. I mean, what more can you say about a team that knows how to find ways to Amandola, excuse me, not Edelman, but Amendola to find ways to get it done. It's just tremendous to see what this team is capable of doing on on, on, our, on our numerous occasions, regardless of what the situations are. And so anytime you get in position to where you think you have this team beat, you better consistently do what you've been doing earlier, which is stick to your guns. Make them have to play from behind. But this is just who this team is. They find a way to mix it up on you, cause you to become impatient, impatient. Um and, and but yet they still had an opportunity to play good in this football game. My thing is, I think the coaches screwed it up in Jacksonville. I think they got away from doing what they do best. And that's forced them, uh the opposing team, to have to do uh some tremendous amount of things. And I thought Danny Amandola he ended up having some phenomenal catches uh from penalties that's being created, um, rather it's to the receivers downfield the entire way through up and down the field. Uh in the latter part of uh, the first half, and even going back a series to the offense, delay a game, illegal procedure. You're behind and down in distance. We end up seeing Ricky Jean Francois come up with some big plays on Leonard Fournette with tackles in the backfield. Look where he's gone, huh? He's gone from getting cut with the Redskins to all of a sudden the Green Bay for a half a day with with he and his his Dunkin' Donuts, and now he takes it out to New England and he's he and James Harrison and Debo. Uh, going to the Super Bowl to play with the New England Patriots, tell you, man, Jacksonville, they had everything at their disposal. It wasn't no one person's fault. I just think overall they changed the philosophy that they were actually a part of, and they couldn't, most importantly, put the hits on Tom Brady that we saw them do uh, early in, the, in this football game. Sacked him three times, uh, lost to 12 yards. But I think the biggest biggest thing of them all that I think no one's really talking about is the penalties. All Huge the penalties disparity. was Jacksonville? Yep, only one for New England. How does that happen in real life?
2: Where was the game played, my friend? Gillette Stadium. There's your answer. I mean,
1: but still, though. I mean, come on. It, 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 it was it was it, I mean, was it that big of a of, of a difference? Was no, you of only got one not. penalty. Of
2: course not. Jacksonville fans are <sighs> extraordinarily angry on social media.
1: Unbelievable. This is this is this is unheard of when you think of penalties and and, and, and things that could have cost the team. I mean, one penalty for 10 yards? Going into the third to fourth quarter, six penalties? I think it was five penalties, like five 95 yards or something to that extent. I mean, however it was. But they had six penalties for 98 yards. rounded it up, 100. But this team got one penalty. 10 yards. Unbelievable. I got so another one for you. It's, Watch it's,
2: that Miles Jack fumble recovery one more time. Why was he was not allowed to get up and run?
1: That's that. that well, here, here's the thing. Because the referee said he was down, they have to go in, and actually go do the replay so I understand. behind the curtain from where, as opposed to any other time, mm-hmm. what we've seen. We've allowed the play to continue. And then you actually end up calling it from there. But if he recovers the football, he runs into the end zone, they call it touchdown. Guess what? When they come back, they say it's a fumble. So it's true, it's a touchdown. So they would prefer to give them the football right there instead. i just tell you, man, it's it's New England, bro. (laughs) That's all you can say. They have more favor. And let me tell you, they don't just get that in New England. They get it in Pittsburgh. They get it in all the other states. The only stadium this year where we saw they didn't get that type of favor when they played against the Miami Dolphins in Miami. That's the only time. Any other time? Questionable calls across the board. Now, am I going to sit here and say the referees had? I promise you that's not what I'm saying but this team has the best fortune of any team I've ever seen play the game other than two teams I see play back in the in the in the in the uh in the 90s the late 80s early 90s which was the San Francisco 49ers and the in the Dallas Cowboys those are the two teams that I thought had the best fortune of all time but the thing they had on their side way back when especially when Joe Montana was around those guys didn't have the the free agent market like they have now where guys aren't together for no more than what, five years? Or so they go where the money is. They go to a championship. Their contract is up. They end up leaving and go where the big money is. Unless you're a Chris Long, like like Howie Long said, his son is playing football for free, basically. Look at Debo. He, he leaves at the 11th hour. He goes to New England. I mean, it's it's a lot of great scenarios, but you end up be hoping you can be on a team like this one where they get the breaks. And whether it's you call it, you will it to happen, Or it's just they play fundamentally sound and somewhat error-slash-mistake-free football. And I think that's why when they're in games, and people cannot understand it, that the reason why they make these plays, it's not just because of a scheme. It's because with the scheme, guys are capable of making plays when it matters most. The balls that I saw him throw to to, to Rob Gronkowski, to, to Amendola. Yeah, he's
2: the greatest of all time. And we got further proof of that it just yesterday. It doesn't happen often. I want to get back to often. Jacksonville's play calling, and here is my take. They got conservative because they were afraid if they pushed tempo, if they tried to make plays, Bortles was going to give it away. So just to be specific with my critique, you're right. This is not on Blake Bortles. This is on a coaching staff that doesn't believe in him, and they got scared with the play calling.
1: Well, here's the the problem. Again, who are you playing against? You're playing against Tom Brady. So if you put yourself in position to where you may not be able to come back from because of their ability of getting out front and not being able to catch them. Now, last week, what did we end up seeing this team do? They got way out front and they kept having to play because they were playing from a, f- a lead. When you're playing, when you get in position where you have to play from behind or the game is too close, you have a tendency to become a little more conservative Cordell, because you want the defense to, to 10. play great. They were up 20-10 to 10 uh, but, in the fourth quarter, man. But why, but why do you run on first down and then you have Leonard Fournette who sits here and get tackled for two, yard, for maybe eight yard, one-yard gain or you get tackled for loss for a yard or two on first down on multiple occasions? I'm going to tell you. I know everybody wants to put it on Blake Bortles and try to figure out who's going to be the next quarterback. But I'm not buying that one. I'm telling you. Because what they did on this football team has nothing to do with the fear of what Blake Bortles could and couldn't do. Because he's shown everything that he could do the week prior along in the first half. There was nothing that indicated that you need to pull away from, Kay, from Blake Bortles. Not one single thing in those two games. Or in this last game. Not one. The problem is is that I think you played a keep-away game thinking that you would be able to methodically move the ball down the field by running it, playing keep-away. But when you have sacks, when you have tackle for losses, you get, off, you get off schedule, and now you're forced to do some things that's uncharacteristic of the play calling. I think that's what happened, and I think that's based on what they were doing on the New England Patriots team, which said basically the reason why they got what they got in the first half was because of their ability to run the football with Leonard Fournette between the tackles. They, they crushed him between the tackles in the first half. Play action pass, a few dinking and dunks, and some really good plays through man coverage. They end up throwing the ball all over Mercedes Lewis, all over the place. And then you get to the point where you get to the second half, and now you're saying to yourself, because of the up-tempo that New England end up actually putting up, you all of a sudden now play conservative to where you're afraid to give the ball back to that team. Because you know their capability of scoring against this defense. So how do you play defense better than what the defense was playing?
2: And two things play, can be away. equally true. You're right. Kudos to New England. We knew that was coming. Do I have to remind everyone the score was 28-3 to 3 last year in the Super Bowl? I get yeah. it. That was the huge component. But also, Jacksonville, in my mind, was afraid their quarterback was going to screw it up, so they went into a shell and they blew it. I, 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 just, I just can't buy, I can't buy that one, And
1: this is why. This is why. Tell me what happened to that defense in the second half in comparison to the first half. I'm asking. They gave
2: up more plays because Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does. And
1: and how fast were they getting up and down the football field? You have to now slow down that momentum. How do you slow it down? The defense couldn't do it. No, get a first down. Move the chains. They went three and out
2: repeatedly. After the Miles Jack fumbles recovery, if they get a first down, maybe the entire game is different.
1: But when you get sacked, when you get a tackle for loss, then what happens? Now you're playing it. Now you're playing a defensive game on the offensive side of the football. So now you're strategically saying to yourself, "Let's do the best we can to play take away, keep away." So now what do you get? You get a holding penalty. What do you? You get offside. You get a little illegal procedure. So now while playing this methodical, slow style football, not because they're afraid of the quarterback, it's because they're afraid of the guy on the other side of the football being able to drive up and down the field. No, so I think I'm they were afraid of two quarterbacks.
2: They were afraid of two quarterbacks yesterday: Tom Brady and Blake
1: Bortles. I'm not competing against Tom Brady with my offense when knowing that this is the only answer we have to slow down what they're doing because our defense was the number one defense in the National Football League, couldn't stop them. So what do you do? You have to be methodical, you have, but that played against it, it backfired and they couldn't get out of it ever since. And it had nothing to do with Blake Borders. Look at his numbers.
2: I read the numbers. He did, he I'm never, blaming he, he the play caller mind, he
1: did underachieved. I'm not
2: blaming the fella executing the vision. I'm blaming the coaching staff who came up with a lame game plan in the second half.
1: And that, and, 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 well, you did say the reason why it was lame was because they were afraid that the quarterback well, the two were couldn't get connected, Because
2: Blake Bortles is just a guy how about this yeah. i'm going to defer to sean salisbury's going to yeah. join us final hour of the program and yeah. you guys can talk about it because you're the quarterbacks on this show all right
1: you, you know what you've, you've that's the best thing you've ever Thank said you, since pal. we've been on for the last couple of years you, you know, you have your moments where you, you kind of go in the right direction and you just screw it up as you always do. Mm. But here I hear, this was the most profound thing you. you've ever said in all time. Other than when you read the Bose commercial. I'll uh, oh,
2: be coming the up. Yeah. I love that I want to do way. it a couple times a show. So I learned from Jacksonville, I'm not going to be conservative. I'm going to let it all hang out, final hour of the program with Sean Salisbury, yep. because now we have to talk about your guy, Case Keenum.
1: Oh. Mm. You want the horns? Can I you, you know what? No, this is what I'll do. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Give me the horns, please. Ha <laughs> <Yeah>. ha <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Case Keenum! Yeah. That's for you and John, Brian Weber, by the way. Hey, John, how you got? Case Keenum? Oh, man. That's the last time I say it for the rest of the year. But I tell you what, we will be in his city. And if we do see him on radio row, I don't care who we have sitting next to us. He's gonna sit down and talk with us. Because I gotta to talk to Case Keenum. That guy had a phenomenal year, and it just so happened they teamed out their butts beat down oh, we're going with from the team defensively, concept. from the offensive side across the board. I know where you want to go with all your stuff, Brian. I got you, buddy. But it's it's too that's too easy it got to go a little deeper than that. It can't just be Case Keenum and Blake Bortles. It's not just those guys. When you change your whole outlook on what you do as a team completely, and it looks totally different. I mean, I blame Coach Zimmer for that performance by this entire team, especially his defense. Gave up 38 points. You're right.
2: What happened to that defense yesterday? You they got me. annihilated.
1: You had a quarterback in Nick Foles, who you talked about from the bottom to the top. Killed him, too. He goes out and have one of the better games. Matter of fact, I thought he had the best performance all day yesterday, to be honest with you, of any quarterback that played. Three touchdowns, 26 of 33, over 200. Oh, my gosh, 300 and something like yards? Who thought he would have had that type of day? No one. Not myself, not the people in Philly, not even himself. But he did. Great day. That defense played phenomenal. I thought Fletcher Cox was getting off the ball. Applying the pressures uh, that he needed to apply. I thought they kept Case Keenum extremely uncomfortable. Uh, The receivers, I mean, the guys were dropping balls uh, to not being able to get the stops they need on defense. Think of Harrison Smith. I mean, look at that one. I mean, sendejo he got knocked out of the game. Again, because I think of a calf injury. I mean, that, that was another issue that took place for this football team. Think of the corners. I mean, this didn't even look like the same football team in every single thing Philly wanted to do defensively other than that first drive when scoring, when scoring the touchdown with Rudolph, which they defied those odds of this team winning because they said every time this team has won, every time this team won by, by going up seven points in a the game, they won every single one of those games. They end up knocking them out, Literally. And so it was. It was Philadelphia played their best football of the year, I think, as a team. Uh, and of course, it becomes even more exciting and, and intense when you do it with the backup quarterback in Nick Foles. So um, great to see he and Carson Wentz, you know, close together and, and laughing it up. And you know, Carson Wentz is like, "Dang it, man!" But you know what? He's a part of the process too because he's the reason why uh, they got so far. But now here it is. Nick Foles is going in and I wonder what Coach Schwartz is saying now about Doug Peterson.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Jim's and, not going, you know, going anywhere. Is there any
1: undermining going on in that city there now, are now about are Doug No Peterson? head
2: coaching opportunities. Jim's going to have to sit there and smile unless he quits. Let's <laughs> take you it. to the winning locker room. Here's the head coach of the Eagles, Doug Peterson.
4: As the season goes, you start losing some of your top players to injury, and you know you just kind of see the the fight in the guys, and they keep you know the resiliency in the guys, and then you lose another player a couple weeks later, and it just then you you know you know obviously you lose your quarterback here at the end, and the guys just keep keep You know, and and for us to, um, you know, believe in one another and and to be now in this spot, uh, I'm just so happy for those guys.
2: Peterson also conveying the message that this team did not let down mentally when they lost Carson Wentz for the rest of the year with the torn ACL.
4: You know, our season wasn't over. You know, we still in still are in the driver's seat, you know. We had to I think win one or two games at the end of the year to, to at least have home field and at least have a, a home buy, you know, that first round. And I just just felt confident you know, confident in the players and and, and the coaches and uh, that we were gonna get we were still a good football team. And I, I talk to the team all the time. It's not about one guy. You know, one guy can make a difference for you, but it takes a whole team.
2: Now let's hear from Nick Foles, who had a game for the ages yesterday against statistically the best defense in all of football.
4: Um, In sports, everything's a
0: process. Anything you do in life, when you work at it, um, it's a process. And you just, you can't give up. Everyone wants to, when it's a bad outing, wants to be really critical. And I get it. That's part of media. I totally understand. But as players, I think, going back to the special thing, is no one in the locker room doubted me. Everyone just kept believing. We kept working. We kept getting more reps in practice. We went into more games. And it's just a rhythm thing. You just have to keep working.
2: Cordell, I'll take you back to a conversation we had a couple months ago with a great friend of the program, the Hall of Famer Warren Moon. I asked him about Case Keenum, and he said, paraphrasing here, one of these weeks, Case Keenum is going to wake up and remember, he's Case Keenum. Well, that happened yesterday with the three turnovers. But as you're pointing out, he didn't play in the secondary. Last time I checked, he wasn't trying to tackle anybody unless he was trying to prevent the pick six after a terrible throw into coverage. What happened to that Minnesota defense yesterday?
1: We just got annihilated. Um, literally annihilated on, on every level that you can imagine. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, when you, when you play against a team that's playing on all cylinders, I mean, what are you going to do? You don't matter who you're playing against, right? Nick Foles, 20 through 26 or 33, 352 yards and three touchdowns, sacked one time for six yards. No turnovers. 141 uh, QB rating. I mean, not QB, uh, um, when it comes to his um, his ratings, mm-hmm. 141. Which QBR, is just 95%. shot at the 158
2: perfection mark. I mean, and how about the play calling, Cordell? Doug Peterson used the entire playbook.
1: Yeah, he did. I mean, this is this is the, the remarkable thing about what they did and what Minnesota didn't do. Flea Flickers, um, Torrey Smith... Saw him catch that in, in, in the end zone. And, I mean, he was somewhat double-covered. You had uh, Harrison Smith over the top looking like he could be in the position. How out of position was he all day? We never had a chance to see it. We'd never seen Harrison Smith out of position the way we saw him yesterday. And so I just think when it comes down to it, you know, everybody on this football team, uh, they struggled times 10. I mean, guys were in places to make plays and just could not get it done. I mean, it 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 kind of... Everything works together. Defense plays great. Offense has to play solid. Offense plays well. They stay ahead. It allows the defense to play from behind and be able to play really, really good football. Offense makes mistakes. It puts defense back against the wall. They end up giving up big runs, big passes, big catches, big throws for touchdowns. Not just big yards, but for big yards with touchdowns. That's hard to beat, man, when you have a team like Philadelphia that's just on hitting on all cylinders. Whether you want to point out Case Keenum, you want to point out defense, you want to point out the receivers, you want to point out coaching, you point them all out. But one thing you know for sure, if you're playing on the road in a hostile environment such as this one, this team is playing off of the conversation and the things that are said in the media which is they're the underdogs. They have more dog masks in that stadium than you can imagine that I've ever seen in any store, especially during Halloween or any time during the year. I didn't know they had that many dog masks running around. Poodles, canines, all types, little pit bulls. I mean, you saw everything. And this team played up to it. And I gotta be honest with you, man, that, that, is, that is the type of football uh, that you have to play in a game such as it because the AFC and the NFC Championship game is the hardest game of all the games. Because it's the thought in your mind of, man, I win one more, I'm here. Super Bowl Sunday, that's the game you know you just get prepared to play and let the chips fall where they may. But the build-up to what could happen, that AFC-NFC championship game is the hardest game of all. You just take, you just take the, the licks that you get in the Super Bowl and know that, hey, if we don't win on this day, we're just not good enough. We just go home as the second-best team in the National Football League, which somebody has to finish in that way. But Philly, I think this was more indicative to what Philly did as opposed to how bad it was because it was extremely bad for this Minnesota team. We've seen this with Minnesota before. This is not nothing new with Minnesota. As far as turnovers, inability to stop big plays, when the last time we saw that when they played against the Carolina Panthers? one thing I said, if they don't, sh- if that team doesn't show up, they have a chance to win but the way this Philadelphia the Eagles team played, I gotta be honest with you I don't know if Minnesota on their best day would have had a chance.
2: No, not the way Foles was playing, no way
1: because the way Foles was playing, it was lights out football. It really was I mean, he was accurate I mean, he would, he would have pressure, get ready to throw it, tuck it readjust himself get his feet back, adjusted and deliver a phenomenal pass down the football field in stride uh, to all Sean Jeffries down the field in the end zone. Just imagine how he's feeling right now after Chicago let him go. I mean, there's a lot of great stories on this Philadelphia team uh, to the point where you hope and wish for them it's enough to go up against that Goliath of a team in New England Patriots with Tom Brady and his head coach Bill Belichick I uh, have to bring to the table. So it's going it's to be pretty, uh, I think it's going to be a remarkable ma- remarkable matchup. But I credit Philadelphia for playing the way they did because what, what Minnesota ended up doing, they gave Philadelphia to play even better uh, by giving up the turnovers and not making the stops that they needed to make.
0: You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this.
5: Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast.
0: Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood
5: and Crime by Wonder. We also
0: tested the purse for fingerprints, nothing viable there either.
5: And Uncivil by Gimlet, before they're available anywhere else.
0: Where we ransack
6: America's past.
1: And discover that history is only kind to those writing
5: search first play podcast and listen early listen often listen today
0: this is nfl no huddle the podcast here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart
2: welcome back to nfl no huddle the podcast as we welcome in nfl network insider and nfl on TuneIn contributor ian Rappaport.
0: Now it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn.
2: Let's start with a new segment. Where in the world is Ian Rappaport? Ian, where are you today?
5: I am in Mobile, Alabama, obviously. Uh, the site of the Senior Bowl, and always one of my favorite events of the year. All the college prospects are coming down here. Um, Baker Mayfield not here yet. It was a family situation, so he is coming tomorrow. Um, But a lot of the top prospects are here, which is a good place to watch them and even better place for me to gossip.
2: Outstanding. So we'll get to the draft analysis momentarily. Let's start with coaching news based on your conversations. Why did the Titans select Mike Vrabel to be their new head coach?
5: Well, they're looking for a leader. And, and, you know, there's obviously been a lot of discussion about Vrabel's qualifications. You know, very, very good player. But was a position coach in college and just a coordinator for one year in the NFL. But um, they believe he can command the room. Uh, they like his choice of offensive coordinator. Ryan Day, the Ohio State offensive coordinator, is a name to watch there. They want someone who can come in and develop Mariota, but, but really just um, get the most out of the players um, on a variety of levels. And, and he's someone that is respected. Uh, his playing career speaks for itself, and uh, they think that that's something that can reach these players. That's why you know, they're willing to sort of overlook his lack of experience.
1: When you talk about Mike Vrabel and you mentioned the experience that he's had as a player, um, as a position coach, and, and also now a, a, a coordinator, now a, a head coach, uh, can he come in and fix a Marcus Mariota? Because it sounds as if the system that Mike Malarkey was running was the reason why Marcus Mariota couldn't be as efficient or even the downfield throws. Do you think Mike Vrabel actually come in and get that done for him?
5: That's what they hope. But now the Marcus Mariota factor is is sort of varied because remember, similar to Derek Carr, you know, he broke his leg last year at the end of the year, did not really have an off season. So, you know, whereas you go into your third year, that's generally the year, you know, you you make a huge leap. He didn't have an off season this past year. So he didn't really get to make the leap and, you know, ends up in a place again, just like Derek Carr, where you come out on the field and you are just not quite looking like yourself. And then this year, you know, he was still clearly injured during, during the season. Um, there was even some talking about him needing another surgery. Probably not going to happen, but it was just not himself. So there were some physical things. You know, obviously, once you start doubting yourself, that sort of can, can take over. Um, but the choice of the offensive coordinator is a huge one. And if it does turn out to be, you know, Ryan Day, who can bring that sort of Chip kelly to their offense, um, that's obviously what they believe can, can maybe take him to the next level.
2: Chatting with our NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, let's wrap up the coaching carousel for now with the news from Arizona today. Why did the Cardinals decide that Panthers defensive coordinator Steve Wilk should be their new leader?
5: Now I was told this story. Uh, Steve Kime was in the Carolinas. He was on vacation on a beach, and a man walked up to him and, and said hello and introduced himself. Uh, and they had a conversation, and Kime was struck by – just how dynamic this guy was. Um, just really liked him as a person and wanted to find out more about him. And that was Steve Wilkes. Um, kept that in his head the whole time, went through the head coach interview. And, you know, obviously, Wilkes as a coach, just as a coordinator, uh, you know, the things he does with that defense is fantastic. But this was a guy who was a big time leader on the team. When Ron Rivera stepped away or had personal issues, it was Wilkes, not Sean McDermott, who took over. Um, they think he's a big time leader. Um, kind of like Mike Vrabel, but it's, you know a little more accomplished in coaching. Um, and this is a hire I know they're extremely excited about.
1: In watching that, uh, that New England Patriots game with Blake Bortles, uh, many would say that the reason why they became so conservative is because of the, the lack of confidence in Blake Bortles. Give me your take on how you saw him play that game and what does a game like that mean for his future as a quarterback there in Jacksonville?
5: Well, I thought he handled himself okay. You know, honestly, like, he made the biggest throw he needed to make. It's just Stephon Gilmore made a better play. You know, and that, and that's just that's kind of part of the deal is, is he made a good throw and Gilmore made a great play. They did get conservative. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, Bortles or if it was, oh, wow, we're about to beat the Patriots. Let's sort of, you know, change what we're doing. I mean, that that happens sometimes. It's like in golf when you go out there and you start with, you know, five birdies in a row or something, they're like, Wow, I'm definitely not this good. You know, maybe they kinda started to doubt themselves a little bit, got a little conservative and, you know, all of a sudden all the Patriots really need is a window and man they had that window there and seized it and and made sure that they closed out an incredible and incredible win to to, you know, rob Jackson of everything they were they wanted to do.
2: Ian Rappaport is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, beyond Case Keenum reverting to his old form yesterday, if we're talking about a larger sample size and Minnesota wants to keep him, what kind of guaranteed money could he be receiving the offseason? Here's my commentary. I think it would be insane to give him the franchise tag.
5: Well, the problem is uh, I do not think it's insane. And the problem is who are you going to get that's better? And that's all these discussions. Every quarterback discussion needs to be framed with, you know, all right. You're the Bills, and you want to move on Tyrod Taylor. You're the Redskins. You think you can do better than Kirk Cousins? No problem. Good luck. Um, and I would
2: trade for Alex Smith if he's available. How about that?
5: You would, but then you're going to be paying a draft pick, okay? And you're going to be paying twenty, three or four million dollars worth of salary. That's the problem. It's you know, and there's only one Alex Smith. So there's no you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get him. And that's the problem. Is you know quarterbacks are so expensive you have someone who you can play with you know he's not tom brady but there's only a couple tom brady's um so is he good enough to where you can build a team around him and get to this point i mean case keenum was good enough he got to the nfc title game case keenum got the nfc title game Mm -hmm. now he's going to lose his coordinator and that does make you wonder as well what's going to be like next year
1: yeah, and, and, that, and that's a big one for him because, you know, to, to yeah. go from where he came from to all of a sudden have a chance to have that much success with Coach uh, Coach Sherman, you automatically hope and wish for his case uh, that he could keep him around, but Think about Nick Foles and what he did for himself. Like, he, like, what do you do with Nick Foles after having two game back to back games and played his better game in the NFC championship game against arguably the better defense uh, in the NFC? And obviously, they killed that one. So, what happens with Nick Foles moving forward?
5: He becomes the best backup in the NFL, and you hope mm-hmm. that he never plays again. Um, and maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe after he's out of contract, he leaves, or maybe, you know, you trade him, but. I don't see why anybody would ever want to trade him. I mean, you could trade maybe if you get a first-round pick, but think about how amazing he is. Your starter, one of the best in the league, gets injured, and you make the Super Bowl. What price would someone else have to give you to give up a quarterback who you have that kind of confidence in? It's amazing. Having a backup quarterback who you like is the most amazing thing in the world, and I know the Eagles are loving it right now.
2: Finally, because you're the Senior Bowl practice session, let's wrap it up with draft conversation. Based on the early chat you're having with scouts and executives, how polarizing is Baker Mayfield? How broad is the spectrum when it comes to where he could go in the first round?
5: Um, it's pretty broad. Now, most people think he's a top 15 pick that I've spoken with. Dynamic on the field. He's not for everyone. He's probably going to be short, might be under six feet. I think that was some of the discussion today is just how actually tall is he going to be. But on the field, there's no question. You know, it's just really, you have to just do your homework. Is he Johnny Manziel? Is he Johnny Manziel light? Is he just a guy who got busted one time having fun and is really just a good kid? I mean, the main thing is going to be the homework. But from a playing standpoint, um, it seems there are fewer questions than Manziel had. I'll say that. So I I would, from the people I've spoken with, I would see him being a top 15 pick. Definitely. It's really a question of, is he like a top five pick?
2: Thank you and enjoy your time in Alabama. We'll chat with you on Wednesday here on NFL No Huddle.
0: Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen
2: to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise. With Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too, you just flip the switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35 wireless headphones, 2 are uh, engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com/slash No Huddle to experience Bose. QC35 headphones to today, Bose official sound of Super Bowl 52.
0: Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
2: As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Eric Adelson from Yahoo Sports. Eric, as you were watching things unfold, how was Nick Foles able to carve up a tremendous Minnesota defense yesterday?
6: Hey, Brian, good to be on. I think a lot of the credit has to go to LeGarrette Blount. I think that the game certainly changed on the pick six because, as we all saw, the Vikings just tore down the field and quieted the crowd to start the game. The pick six changed momentum, and then I think the runaway began when Blount just ran right at the middle, bulldozed the Vikings defense, and scored from 11 yards out. And I think that 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 got the crowd... Into it, and I think that it shook the Vikings a little bit. They're supposed to be the number one uh, defense, uh, and they were they were pancaked uh, on that drive and on that play. Uh, and I think that from then on, the Vikings had to mind their P's and Q's when it came to the rushing game. That gave Foles time and uh, and the ability to uh, to to be creative and be confident. Um, and that that Eagles offensive line, Brian, that that might be the best in the game. And usually, you do not get to the Super Bowl without either of the first or second best offensive line of football.
1: Eric, what does that say about Doug Peterson and his and his confidence that he has in Nick Foles? I mean, Nick Foles went out and played like he was a legit, a legitimate starter in the National Football League and played totally opposite of what we remember seeing him playing like in the latter part of the season.
6: Yeah, that, I mean, they believe in him. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, Peterson, uh, he certainly has had an offensive line and a great background, a quarterback background. Carson Wentz, I think has been helping him along the way, obviously much younger, but a second set of eyes. Um, and, and from being in the locker room last night, Correll, you really got the sense that they believed him and they weren't surprised. Um, and, and I think that when you have that kind of belief, he's always been a confident quarterback. I remember I covered him in his rookie year, um, and, and they were down the, not the goal line. This is the Eagles were a terrible team back then. You know, the, the Michael Vick era was ending, and they were down in the goal line, and Foles called his own play. Marty Morningweg, then the, the offensive coordinator, uh, was stunned that Foles called his own play, but it worked, and they won the game. Uh, and so he's always had the ability. He's always had the smarts. He's always had the poise. Just I don't think the system has no worked for him. He hasn't had the right personnel. Uh, and now that he has the belief of the players around him and also the coaching staff, and I think that's a little bit of a difference between how people feel about Blake Bortles. I think that they could have had more confidence in Bortles down the stretch yesterday. Obviously, that's not the game I was at, uh, but I think that they believe in Foles and Uh, To them, uh, at least in this moment, he's just as good as Carson
2: Wentz. And Eric, as always, you're the perfect setup man. That was like Magic Johnson. giving me the pass I was looking for because as you were watching the final minutes of the AFC Championship game, what did you make of Jacksonville's play calling? To me, they got way too conservative because, in my view, they were scared Blake Bortles was going to turn it over.
6: Yeah, I agree. I agree, Brian. I think that was an issue. Just a couple things to give that context. Um, the, the, the Doug Marone, Nate Hackett way is run the ball. Uh, and and that, they, they're very bit clear about that. And everybody I've talked to win or lose in the Jags locker room says that our identity is run the ball. Uh, and so uh, to some extent, they want to establish that and keep that. I think that they uh, were smart to go away from that at the beginning of the game. And their passes, I think, really had the, the, the Patriots on their heels. They should have gone with it. Uh, But their DNA is always going to be run the ball. I think that that's sort of the Achilles heel for Marone and Hackett, uh, and and it came came back to bite them. On the other hand, I will say this, and I think that this is I don't disagree, but I think this is important: is that when the Vikings had the lead early in the game, they didn't keep to the run; they stayed with the pass. That pick six changed the game, and I think you're you're understandably afraid of having that kind of mistake if you are if you are in the lead on the road at Gillette Stadium.
1: What does it say about Bill Belichick and his ability to, regardless of who you're playing against, to go in that half and while struggling in the first half to figure it out and look like the game is lost, he come out in the second half and he truly takes away your strength and what it is that you do because the running game was something that was really special in the first half for Jacksonville, but in the second half, it was nothing and we we didn't see Jacksonville making adjustments.
6: Yeah, I, I, I think that that's – and we saw this in the 49ers game. I know a lot of people didn't watch this game, but that was one of the worst defensive performances of the Jags all season. They gave up 40, 44 points to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and the four, the new look 49ers, and I think in that game they showed uh, some variation in their offense, and they were able to, uh, I, I think, uh, stun the uh, the Jags defense a little bit. It's a young defense. It's not – I don't want to say it's an uncreative defense, but it's not as dynamic as you're going to see from Patricia or the Vikings or the Eagles. Uh, and, I, and I think that the, what you have with the Patriots, and this is with Belichick and this is with Brady, they enjoy the challenge. You know, They like it when it's a close game. They want to be uh, a little bit scared. They, they want to be uh, pressed into making adjustments. Uh, and so I think that when you are going up against them, you're worried that, that Brady and Belichick are going to come up with an answer. But as you get more worried, they get more confident that they're going to figure out the puzzle uh, it's like being in a close chess game. You sort of get excited. The adrenaline starts to flow uh, that you're a little bit back on your heels, and, and they were able to respond. They always are. And that is the biggest problem with facing the Patriots is that even if you get into the fourth quarter and you have the lead or it's close, that's where they thrive the most. So you can be tired uh, and you can be depleted or you can, you can feel like, you're in the game, but but you're going to get the best Patriots at the end of the game.
2: Eric Adelson, Yahoo Sports, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Eric, last one for me. You gave us the good macro view, but we know there are no perfect teams in professional sports. So, if the Patriots have a flaw, what do you think it might be? The numbers suggest they were pretty mediocre against the pass this year.
6: Yeah, I, I I think that that I mean they're obviously not going to face uh, a superstar uh, quarterback in in this. Um, however, I, I've always wondered if the lack of the power running game is going to get them. Uh, and, and I know that's on the offensive side of the ball. But I think that one of the storylines you're going to see is that you have a former Patriot, LeGarrette Blunt, who is now against them. And they didn't really replace him. And he and two of the last Super Bowls they, they won were with him. Um, I, I have to wonder if that's ever going to bite them. I think that it, there's a chance that it will because uh, he, he's, he, he's had a little bit of a checkered pass, Blount has, but he's a great power running back, and they have a great offensive line. And even though the pass is something that they've struggled with, I think the run might determine this upset if it
2: happens. Eric, as always, we appreciate the information. Say hello in person one of these events. We'll be on Radio Row in Minnesota, so we'll have a chance to chat then, okay?
6: Well, I've been waiting for you to ask me about Andy Dalton, who's finally a playoff hero, but I guess you're not going to call me when
0: it's time.
2: No, no, no. I'm all all over Case Keenum. Eric, I have a new cause now. I've given up on Dalton. (laughs) I'm all over Case Keenum. Thank you, Eric.